All right, let's go ahead and start out with some prayer. Father God, we thank you for who, who you are. You are a God of truth, uh, and we thank you that you died, that you sent your son to, who died in our place to give us salvation. And we just ask that you to increase our faith uh, in you and in your son. And I pray you'd also give us, uh, you'd put love in our hearts for those who are trapped in false churches like Jehovah's Witnesses we're going to be talking about today, and that you would empower us to witness to them uh, as we encounter them in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys for coming. So yeah, today we're going to be talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, part one. So I brought a few resources for you guys to look at at some point if you want. So this is their translation of the Bible. It's called the New World Translation. Uh, so you can look through it and see how it's different from uh, our translation. Uh, and we'll have examples of that in the class today. I brought a Greek New Testament as well, in case you want to look at it. Uh, this is also a great book series called The Ten Most Important Things You Can Say. Uh, this is the one for Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, it's by Ron Rhodes, who's president of the Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. These are great books. Uh, he has them for Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Catholics, a few other groups. Um, they're really short and just easy to go through. You can read them in one sitting. Or if there's one particular issue when you're talking to somebody, you want to look it up. It's just right there, a few pages. Uh, he has a very strong opinion about eschatology that he has other books about that we're not endorsing or anything. So um, if you see those, uh, this, this is the series that I'm recommending. So he's got a website, Reasoning from the Scriptures. Uh, it's a great resource to go to just for biblical argumentation for the Trinity and all kinds of other against false churches and things like that. So uh, this is a workbook that if you ever do a Bible study with a Jehovah's Witness, this is what they're going to bring with and walk you through. So it's just, it's a topical study of the Bible. We'll talk about that as well as we go. And then they produce magazines called The Watchtower. So these are their most recent issues. You can just show up at any kingdom hall, this is what they call their, uh, their places, and they'll just give them to you for free. Same thing with the Bible. That's what I did. Just walked in and asked for one, and they just handed it to me right there on the spot. So, uh, so it's, it's really easy to get. So... <clears throat> Cool. So, yeah, we're largely going to be covering what Jehovah's Witnesses believe today. We're going to, this is part one. Part two is where we're going to start. We're going to talk about how to counter it, like what the actual biblical truth is on, compared to what they say. Um, so this is just, this can be what they believe. So this isn't, this isn't what the Bible teaches or what we are saying. All right. Uh, there are issues that I'm not going to be able to cover today just because I don't have enough time. Issues that they get strongly criticized for such as their abusive use of shunning uh, or disfellowshipping, which you probably have heard about, uh, the interrogations that they do with three-member three elder panels for suspected or known sins, the hiding of child abusers, and how they've changed their theology over time. Because the theology has absolutely changed from 1900 till today, uh, even though they deny it and they delete magazines that they've published and uh, whatnot, but they're still available on the internet uh, in archives, but they just don't like you to know about them. Uh, we just don't have, it's not that those issues aren't important, we just don't have the time. This is already going to be a long teaching, so I'm going to try to go fast uh, through it, all right? Uh, 
Uh, I've been to a couple Kingdom Hall services, uh, even before I knew I was going to be teaching this class. Like, I had a friend who invited me to one uh, back in the day. Uh, and I've, and basically, just, I want you to understand that they are normal people. So, like, who, who are they? Uh, they're really on a person-to-person -person level, just like all of us right here. Uh, there is the stereotype of them that they are in a cult, like, not in the theological definition that we talked about last time, but in the normal definition, like like the the general one where it's like inclusive and they don't talk to anybody and they're afraid to of the outside world. Um, and there's elements of that there, but it's they're largely once you get in, just find out the normal people. So uh, they are sincere in their faith. Uh, just some examples of how I perceive that they're normal when I've interacted with them. Like you guys all sat up in the front rows today, so. I think Kayla initiated that, so thanks. But uh, like, if you go, I mean, even at our church service, you know that the front rows are loaded, and, the, and it gets more and more sparse as you get closer to the front. It's the same thing at their meetings. Okay, um, they had an elder who had to zoom in for his meeting uh, for his while well, he was giving his talk, and he only had like five minutes, and he just made a joke like, "Hey, I have to zoom through my material, like, because he's on Zoom, you know." So little pun there. So like. They get it, okay? They're, they are normal people. Uh, they wear formal attire to their services. So just, they're not going to kick you out if you show up. Like, I never dress up when I go. I just, like, I wear my work pants and my Dunder Mifflin shirt or whatever and, you know, dress park and, you know, hey, they, they just roll with it, all right? So, but just so you're not surprised by that, all right? Uh, they also practice witnessing at every service. So they have people come up front and they have, and they just like a scenario that they act out where they practice it. So that way when they're out interacting with you guys and other people, they, all right, they're better at it. Go ahead. You do not have to be invited. Yep, so you can just show up, just go to the website, figure out what time they're meeting and just show up and they'll let you in. So Mormons won't let you do that. We'll talk about them in a couple weeks. Uh, you have to be invited to a Mormon service, uh, but not Jehovah's Witness. So great question. <clears throat> um, so like, for example, the one that I was at most recently, they had somebody practice, practicing witnessing to somebody who said that God wasn't real because of evil in the world. And how do you answer the question of the problem of evil? And they actually answer it really in the exact same way that we would. You know, so uh, there is going to be a lot of similarities. They start out really well on like every doctrine, and then they just really fall off the rails pretty hard, like almost every single time. All right. Uh, so yes, they have false beliefs, but they're still people, people who God loves and wants to see saved. Okay, so if they die as Jehovah's Witnesses, believing their doctrines, they're not going to spend eternity with us, right? They're going to hell. So hopefully that moves moves you to witness to them because everybody has experiences with them knocking on your door and uh, and everybody has their clever ways of getting them to go away, right? Because it's not pleasant, you know, spending your afternoon or your evening uh, just chatting with people that you, you just weren't planning on it and people that you don't want there and yeah. So, but it's, that's your opportunity to engage with them. So uh, there is a general paranoia about outside groups uh, that is unhealthy and it's common. All right. 
they do have a zeal for God, but they do not worship God according to the truth. Like they really, really are trying hard to worship God. And they think they're doing it biblically, uh, but they're not. Uh, And so part of that stereotype as well of them being a cult is that they don't really care when they're talking to you. They're just doing it because they need to log the hours in that gets recorded. And they're just doing it because that's the way they earn their salvation. Uh, that's undoubtedly true about anybody, or about some of them, I should say, because they are normal people as well. And they are required to do it as being a member of the Jehovah's Witness organization to go out door to door for a certain number of hours uh, per month. Uh, but I interact, interacting with them, there's a really large percentage of them that are sincere in their faith. So uh, don't, don't just assume that they don't care and that they just are logging their hours. Um, one thing about them as well that I really like is that they're very honest about their beliefs up front. They do not hide at all what their, what their teachings are. So this is very different from the Mormons. They give you all the Christian stuff that's similar to us up front, get you in, and then they, then they start to unpack their aberrant theology on you. Uh, once you're already kind of hooked into the community and probably don't want to leave. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they just have it posted. All right, here's our theology that we believe. These are all the classical Christian doctrines that we deny. Uh, Like they even, so they know I'm a Christian and like they'll text me and say, hey, we're talking about the Trinity tonight at our service. Like, like you should come tonight. Okay, so like, like they're not shy about it. All right. Uh, you can just go to their website, jehovahswitness.org, or just jw.org, and uh, it's, it's all right there. So they don't water it down. So they have fairly conservative values as well. So they believe in family. They're against abortion. They're against same-sex marriage. Uh, they have a lot of the same values as all of us as well. Right, they, like the family aspect is very strong to them, and there are millions of them. Like I think there's 8.4 million is what they claim on their website of them around the world. So that's that's a lot of people. Uh, because they are an insulated group, right? Because they are they are tr- told, uh, like. Like, don't Google Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, they, they're told that only go to the Jehovah's Witness official website to do research about beliefs. So that way everything is done according to their perspective. They believe that everybody is going to persecute them as well. Like, the, the idea of persecution by everybody outside of their group is very strongly emphasized in their group. Uh, and when they go door-to-door, because they're treated so poorly all the time, it really reinforces it. So... Uh, that's also another opportunity for you to show goodwill and Christ-like character to them is when they're at the door, not to chase them out of there. Question, yeah. very upfront about their beliefs. My wife and I, back in the early 70s, I almost got sunk in my church at the time. But at that time, they invited us to a big regional meeting in California. Yeah, so and they do that as well. Yeah. About half an hour into the meeting was when they started talking about how the world was going to end in well, this obviously, uh-huh. uh, we, we left without, we didn't even want to hang around for that, but I mean, obviously they changed some of the 
That's what I'm saying. So I, I don't have time to cover that today, but they definitely change beliefs over time. So they've had multiple uh, times where they said the world was going to end, basically, where Armageddon, 1914, 1924, 1984. I think that was the last one, and they gave up on it. Uh, but they retconned, so they went back and like have changed their changed everything, and they're lying to their believers currently, or the current to lying to their members and to the public about it. Uh, but they have, they definitely have changed their theology. Uh, so when I say they don't hide their theology, it's they don't hide their current theology. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So, like Mormons don't believe in the Trinity, but they don't tell you that until you've already like really gotten in and are involved in their community. So, uh, because they're really trying to put that public face of being a Christian out there right now. And Mormons didn't used to be that way, but that's how they've been recently. Um, so, what do they believe? Well, actually... Let's just go over to witnessing tips first, all right? So pun intended, right? We're witnessing to the witnesses. Uh, when you're dealing with them, try to stick to one issue. So if they want to talk about how the church went apostate, like make them sit on that issue because they're going to say, well, the church went apostate. And then once you start to challenge them on that, they're probably going to go to like the wheats and the tares. They're going to move on to the man of lawlessness. They want to talk about Armageddon. And then they're going to want to talk about um, Jesus, you know, and whether he's, uh, a God or not. And so just try to get them to stick to one issue, all right? Say, hey, I appreciate you want to talk about that. Can we talk about that next time or come back to it? Let's focus on the apostasy of the church, right? Did the church really go apostate after the apostles? Um, so that's one tip. Use Watchtower literature whenever possible because their literature has plenty of good stuff in it, really. It's like even their, their translation of the Bible like, I'm going to give you a whole list of Bible verses that demonstrate that we're supposed to be exalting Christ as God in a little bit. And they all come from their Bible. Okay, so uh, it's, it's very, it's going to be a lot easier for them to accept it if it comes from their organization than from outside. Because of that paranoia, they believe that their group is the only one that has truth, uh, that has the correct interpretation. So... Uh, show them love and goodwill. Like I said, they've already been treated, they get treated poorly all the time at the doors and at the workplaces and whatnot. Make sure you share the gospel with them. Your goal should not be just to get them to leave the Jehovah's Witness organization, but should get them to believe in the right Jesus right? and come to a Bible-believing church. So don't just bring them halfway with your argumentation. You got to spend the time bringing them all the way. <clears throat> Uh, and along with that, don't make them question the validity of the Bible, okay? When you're using the New World Translation with them, uh, get them to question the governing body because that's really their authority. So the governing body in practicality sits over the scriptures to them. Uh, so get them to question that, not the Bible. So that's, that's important. Uh, and then if they question like, hey, I understand what you're saying, like, Jesus isn't the Michael the Archangel, etc. I don't believe that he returned in 1914 because uh, the scriptures do matter to them, right? They do value them. So remind them of Jesus's words, right? Uh, when a man said, hey, I want to follow you, but I want to wait until my father dies first. 
Okay, then I'll come follow you. Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Okay, someone else uh, said, hey, I want to go say goodbye to my parents. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So this is, these are verses that will matter to most of them, right? So that it's, it doesn't matter what happens with your family. You need to follow Christ. Uh, and knowing that as well, if you do get somebody to come out, they're going to be totally alone. Because all their friends and all their family are probably Jehovah's Witnesses. And because of their practicing, practice of shunning and disfellowshipping, they will not be allowed to talk with any of them at all. So they're, they're going to be on their own. So unless you get a couple people out at the same time somehow, uh, it's, you're, yeah, you're going to get them plugged in at a church so that they can have a body to rely on as they establish new uh, connections uh, as well. So they're going to need that help. <clears throat> Famous Jehovah's Witnesses. So there's actually been a lot of them out there historically. So Michael Jackson, he was a Jehovah's Witness. So if you uh, actually looked at one of his, I can't even remember what video it was, but he put a disclaimer on the front of it saying that he has no, no uh, connection to the occult at all. That was because the governing body made him put it in, right? So he had to distance himself from certain things. He did eventually get disfellowshipped, uh, but he still, until the day he died, said that he was Jehovah's Witness. Now, Serena and Venus Williams, probably two of the best women's tennis players in the world, they are Jehovah's Witness, as well as their father. They just made a movie about him recently. Uh, Prince was also Jehovah's Witness, like went to door to door to witness to people for this organization. Uh, he obviously had issues fully integrating it into his life, if you know anything about him, uh, but, but he died as a Jehovah's Witness. President Eisenhower was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, left it as an adult. Uh, Lou Whittaker, famous baseball player, probably would be in the Hall, in the fa in the hall of Fame if he wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, because he was controversial at the time because he wouldn't stand for the anthem. Right? Different, different idea than what went on in modern times. It was just because they don't uh, involve themselves in government on any level whatsoever. And so even saying the Pledge of Allegiance is a sin to them. So they would not, they won't do that. So <clears throat> how were they founded? Uh, part one of this is uh, two men. The first one is Charles Taze Russell. So he started what's called, what became known as the Bible study movements. This, he grew up, he was a young child during the Civil War, uh, was strongly influenced by Adventist preaching, right? So remember last time we had the Seventh-day Adventist uh, church, like half in, half out? Well, he was not involved with the good half of, the, of that uh, church. So they don't regard this man as a prophet in the same way that Mormons regard Joseph Smith or like Muslims regard Muhammad, etc. Uh, they just kind of regard him the same way we regard someone like uh, Martin Luther or John Calvin as an important figure in like just developing theology that, I mean, we all here probably go back to at least one of those two men. Uh, so, I mean, we're a very reformed theological church that goes back to John Calvin. So uh, they, they would show the same kind of reverence there. Uh, but there's a little, they, they walk a fine line, okay? So he wrote six books called Studies in the Scriptures, and he made claims in those that they 
consider valid uh, that cross the line from like what Martin Luther or John Calvin did. All right. And he also published a magazine called The Watchtower, which they still produce to this very day. You can find every single copy of it ever been published. Um, just go to like archive.org or something. So, and I did that, went back and looked at a bunch of them in the past. Um, you can also find his books as well on the internet. Uh, Russell's claims. So he claimed the church was corrupted shortly after the death of the apostles. He said this was prophesied in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3, where Paul's talking about the great apostasy that's going to come, but after the man of lawlessness. That's just a summary of the verse. Um, his studies of the Bible were completely correct, despite contradicting nearly all historical doctrine. Right, this is the claim that he made. Okay, I'm not saying that that's true. So, uh, and by the way, I attended a service where they claimed that Wycliffe, Martin Luther, and John Calvin were all early forerunners of their organization. Um, I guarantee you that none of the people in that room have read a single word of either of any of those guys, or they probably wouldn't be Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, but they're, they're, they're trying to lay claim to some historicity there, uh, going back. It's that they challenged the prevailing uh, church at the time, the Catholic Church, and they just didn't take things far enough until uh, Charles Russell came along and he finished the job. So he just said that his works were meant to be Bible study aids, uh, kind of. So this is what he says about his Bible study aids. So the six volumes of studies in the scriptures are not intended to supplant the Bible. Sounds good at first. You can find out he doesn't actually believe that as we go. Uh, there are various methods to be pursued in the study of the Bible, and these aids to Bible study are uh, they're in such a form that they of themselves contain the importance, important elements of the Bible, as well as comments or elucidations of those Bible statements on exactly the same principle that our Lord and the apostles quote from the Old Testament and then gave elucidations of those Old Testament passages. So many of those elucidations were such that if we had not had them, uh, had not had specific interpretations from them, we might never have been able to discern the proper application of them. So when, when Paul gives an application from Genesis and Galatians, He's explaining what that meant to us, right, with Sarah and Abraham. So he's, he's claiming to be on the level of Paul here, that he can look into the scriptures and give you an exact proper interpretation that you would never be able to understand without him. All right. So on page 290, I think it's supposed to say 296, actually. Uh, it says, in the six, if the six volumes of the scripture studies, so those are those books that he wrote, are practically the Bible topically arranged, with Bible-proof text given, we might not improperly name the volumes the Bible in arranged form. That is to say, they are not merely comments on, the, comments on the Bible, but they are practically the Bible itself. Since there is no desire to build any doctrine or thought on any individual preference or in any individual wisdom, but to present the entire matter uh, on the lines of the Word of God, we therefore think it's safe to follow this kind of reading, this kind of instruction, this kind of Bible study. So he's saying that, like, his comments, like, they're just right in line with the scripture. So if you read just his works alone, you're going to get the Bible. And then the very next paragraph, he illuminates this even more. Uh, furthermore, not only do we find that people cannot see the divine plan in studying the Bible by itself, we see also that if anyone lays the scripture studies aside, so that's his books, even after he has used them, 
after he has become familiar with them, after he has read them for 10 years, if that person then lays them aside and ignores them and goes to the Bible alone, though he has understood his Bible for 10 years right, with his books, out of experience shows that within two years he goes into darkness. They leave the organization, right? Go figure. Once you start reading the Bible alone, you leave the Jehovah's Witness organization. Uh, on the other hand, if he had merely read the scripture studies with their references and had not read a page of the Bible, as such, he would be in the light at the end of two years because he would have the light of the scriptures. So he's very much equating his Bible study aid with the Bible itself, right? And he's saying that the, he's the only one that is able to interpret it accurately. Which uh, leads us to Joseph Franklin Rutherford. So uh, the term Russellites was given to his followers. Uh, and then after he died in 1916, Joseph Rutherford was the, uh, and basically he became the president of the organization. Uh, he was a close friend and confidant of uh, Charles. So Charles was the guy who, uh, who started the movement, and he laid, he laid the theological foundations, but it was Rutherford who formed the structure of the organization. Good. So did Russell then predict 1914 again? Um, that, no. So he actually predicted one in 1899 or something like around there uh, that failed. He had two or three of them that failed before the 1900s, uh, and he just kept changing the date. Uh, and then it would just get edited out of his magazines, you know, with the new date. Uh, Rutherford is the one who established the 1914 date, not Russell. And that actually came, like, not, it wasn't until, like, 1931 when they had a convention where they came back and said, yeah, Jesus actually returned in 1914. We'll talk about it a little bit. So it was like a, they did it after the fact it's rather than looking ahead. Uh, and we'll get to why they say that. <clears throat> Good question. Did I answer your question? We're good. Um, so, what are we going to say? Something about Rutherford here. All right. So, Rutherford is the guy who centralized the administration of the movement around himself. Uh, he he's the guy who set up the requirement that they are all to go door to door and provide regular reports. He's also the one who gave them the name Jehovah's Witnesses. So they were just considered a Bible study movement at the time. Uh, but at, then they started being called Russellites because they came back and they all went, their teachings went back to him. They didn't like that. They just thought that they should be associated with the name Jehovah. And so they came up with the name Jehovah's Witnesses. That was 1931. Uh, he also gave the name Kingdom Hall to their houses of worship. Um, he's also the one who established the doctrine that Jesus died on a torture stake as opposed to a cross. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. He's also one who established 1914 as the official date of Christ's invisible spiritual return. So in many ways, Rutherford was actually more of a founder of the modern Jehovah's Witness organization than Russell was. Um, Russell just, yeah, he just provided the theology, and then Russell gave it, like, he's the one who built, put it all together and built the organization. So you actually find that they'll have a higher regard for Rutherford than Russell in many circles. So. <clears throat> so what is it that they actually believe? So start with their beliefs about God. So there's one God, and his name is Jehovah. 
That's very important to them. Uh, they claim that Jehovah is the God of Abraham, Moses, uh, and Jesus. Uh, and they believe also you need to call in the name of Jehovah to be saved, not in the name of Jesus. Could you ask any of them, do they actually know all of this history? They... Yes, they will know who Charles Russell is. They will know who Rutherford is. They will know how they got their name. Uh, they will know studies in the scriptures. So they cover all this stuff in their weekly meetings. So they'll get history lesson. They get Bible study lessons. They get uh, tips on how to witness to people. Like their, their meetings are like two to three hours long. So, <laughs> yeah. General? So you say, um, do you use the name Yahweh? They do not consider Yahweh to be a valid name of God. It's Jehovah, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit. Did you have a question? Yeah, I just have a, a comment. Jehovah once started in 1914. Correct, and that has a major influence on that. Okay, I was just kind of curious. Yep. He died halfway through that war. So. He did. Um, 1916, 1917, 18? Yep, so 1914 and 1918 was World War I. Uh, the start of World War I is like a huge reason on why they picked that as the date, because they have a... A Frankenstein monster eschatology that's really important to him of like premillennialism and amillennialism mixed together, dressed up with like bad Christology. So, uh, so, so it, they're going to talk about the wars and the world getting bad and everything, and they they say that night that World War One was the start of that. I just wonder if you know if they changed their strategy because I live right next door to Stephen Bolton. Never knocked on the door. I talk to him quite a lot. Not about theology or about religion, but then about every in the last two years, about every month or two, I get a postcard from them. Right? So they the, they actually shut down the door-to-door ministry for COVID. So from 2020 till now, they weren't doing it. Yeah. They actually just started it like a month ago, doing it again. That's where the postcards. So that's why the, the postcards. They'll probably continue to do both. Yeah, they never have knocked on my door. Yeah. Do you like all by Maryland or? No, I live in the one in West St. Paul. Right? In West St. Paul, okay. So really close. Uh, where was I at? So they claim God of Abraham, Moses, Jesus. They deny the Trinity. So they, there is one God, the Father, whose name is Jehovah. Uh, Jesus is God's firstborn of creation, who is who in turn is the one who created everything else. So the only thing that God ever created was Jesus. Uh, well, kind of. <laughs> and then Jesus is the one who created everything else. The Holy Spirit is not a person. The Holy Spirit is just an active force. They liken it to like electricity. It's just a force that can be adapted to promote a great variety of operations. About the name Jehovah, uh, the original Hebrew had no written vowels. Okay, so I, mean, I think it'd be difficult to read, but it's possible if you can even do that in English, you can read a whole page of material with no vowels. It's just Difficult because we're not used to it, but paper was, you know, a rare commodity back then, so they saved in space. Uh, so God's name in Hebrew are those four letters right there in Hebrew, if you can read them. And they read right to left, by the way. Uh, but in English, they transliterate to Y-H-W-H, which the vast majority of scholars say that that's pronounced Yahweh based on studies of the language and words that make up it. And it's all above my head. But that's basically their conclusion. I disagree with them. I have no, no reason to disagree with that. Uh, so where does Jehovah come from with that? So 
Uh, due to fears of using God's name, Jewish scribes replaced God's name with Adonai when they would read it. So wherever they would see these four letters, instead of reading the name, they would just say Adonai for Lord. That's a tradition that we carry on to this day in our English translations, where we put Lord in all capital letters everywhere where this name appears in the Bible. Uh, and over time, the vowels from Adonai were inserted in between these consonants, which are A, O, and A from Adonai, which in between becomes Yahweh, right? which then when you Latinize it, right, put it into the Latin uh, language, uh, it becomes Jehovah because they don't have a Y in Latin, so they use the J to replace it, which is why Yeshua becomes Jesus and you get or Yeshua and becomes Joshua, things like that. Uh, so therefore, it is a man-made name of God. It's not a biblical one. So you probably have heard it a lot, even in evangelical circles. Uh, so it's it's really not something that's worth criticizing Jehovah's Witness over in the use of the word Jehovah because it has been just kind of adopted into the English language as a replacement for Yahweh. Uh, but So I just put it like a blue tag category for me where I cringe inside when I hear people refer to him as Jehovah, right, in our circles, and they write worship songs that have, you know, there's no God like Jehovah. I don't know if you've heard the Days of Elijah song. Uh, but it's, I don't know. I don't know how big of a deal it really is. I, I personally don't like it, but I'm not going to jump on anybody about it. So uh, the American Standard Version, which was established in, or translated in 1901, they used it for every time in place of Yahweh in the Bible. The King James Version used it four times. So uh, the main issue really that to criticize them on is their hyper-focus on the name because it's the only correct name of God. It's the only name that, that they allow God to be called. All right. Um, and the point as well, so this is really where I think it comes across as important to them, is they use it as a means of getting you to doubt your Bible. Because they're going to say, did you know that in the Old Testament, the name of God is there, and your Bible translation hides it from you, and his name is Jehovah. So therefore, like, you should doubt your Bible and what your pastor says, because we, like, we're the ones who've restored it. Okay, so it's like a one-two punch, right, to them, like, hey, your, your Bible hides the name of God, but don't worry, we fixed it because we put ours back in. We put it back in. So it's, it's a way to get you to doubt your Bible, which is why we're here to, uh, why I'm here trying to tell you about this. So that way you don't, you don't get uh, flummoxed talking to them because they say something that you've never heard before. <clears throat> um, basically, I just, when, I, when it comes up, I just agree with them or just agree and say, okay, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, the Bible shouldn't hide God's name. So let's move on to something that matters. So, and that will disarm them a little bit, you know, and there you go. So just don't fall for the trick. Uh, you know, and even if we accept that Jehovah is the correct translation of the divine name, like it's not pronounced Yahweh, but it is pronounced Jehovah, as unlikely as that is, um, it still doesn't matter because it's not the only name that God ever uses in the Bible. So like he, he refers it to himself as God the God most high, Lord or master, the God who sees me, the Lord God almighty, the everlasting God, the Lord of hosts. That's like his favorite. He uses that one 261 times. So he likes to be known as the God of armies. 
he also calls himself, he's, he instructs us to call him father as well. And that is a unique privilege for us as Christians to be able to call God father um, from Galatians 4, 6, Romans 8, 15. And let's not forget that Jesus is also a name for God. So, because Jesus was God. <clears throat> so you must call on the name of Jehovah to be saved. Uh, so their translation, the New World Translation says, for everyone who calls on the name of Jehovah will be saved. This is not what the original Greek says. Uh, so the, the Greek word there is kurios. Okay? It's not, that's not like the cereal you'll have for breakfast this morning. Uh, it's just the Greek word for Lord. So, uh, but the actual translation, which I pulled from the ESV, is for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is actually a quote from Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, where it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. So uh, the tetragrammaton is the name of that four-letter word, by the way. So if you want to, in case you were curious. So, um, so the, the, the apostles carried on the tradition of obscuring the name Yahweh. So whenever they translated in the Old Testament, they did not write Yahweh in Greek. They put Lord. So they just carried that on in the New Testament. Um, so when Paul is quoting this, he is saying, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, right, Yahweh, is, uh, it will be saved. But if you back up in Romans to verse 9, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then a few verses later, if you call on the name of the Lord, well, who is the Lord? It's Jesus. And then he's quoting from the Old Testament saying that words Yahweh. So he's equating Jesus with Yahweh right here. All right, so it's subtle theology there, but it's, he's very much declaring that Jesus is God, like the God most high, not just a God. So in the name of Jesus, the, uh, the New Testament consistently uplifts the name of Jesus Christ, not Jehovah. So their attempt to uplift the name of Jehovah obscures this reality. So in, these are verses that are uh, questions that I got from that, 10 most important questions to ask. Um, in whose name should we meet together? Right? Uh, demons are subject to whose name? Repentance and forgiveness should be preached in whose name? In whose name are you to believe and receive the forgiveness of sins? Uh, whose name should be invoked as we bring our petitions to God in prayer, and whose name is the Holy Spirit sent, uh, whose name is above every name. The answer to all those is Jesus. And by the way, all of those you can quote from the New World Translation Bible because they all have Jesus written in them. Okay? So you can walk them right through all of those and say, look, why are we focusing on the name of Jehovah when we really should be focusing on the name of Jesus? So the, the New Testament is clearly trying to exalt him. And as we've shown, he's already it's, it's trying to say uh, that he is God. <clears throat> so what do they believe about Jesus? All right, so they believe, they believe that they follow the teachings of Jesus, honor him as their savior, as the son of God, and then claim to be Christians. Sounds good at first, uh, but like going back to last week, it's not that you believe in Jesus, it's what do you believe about him, and then do you believe in uh, the real Jesus? So they do not believe that Jesus is Almighty God from all eternity. Okay? They believe that Jesus was a created being. He was created first by God. Jesus created everything else. Uh, this is from their Bible. This is where they made a change, two changes. 
In, this is John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Right? The, the one, this one was in the beginning with God. All things came into existence through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. We're going to unpack this, look at the Greek next week, uh, so I don't have time today, but just know that they did make a change. Same thing from Colossians 1.15. Sorry, did you have a question? No? So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him, all other things were created in the heavens and on the earth. In the, the things invisible and the things invisible, whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all other things, and by means of him, all other things were made to exist. So you're going to find, if you open up your Bibles right now to Colossians 1.15, uh, it doesn't say all other things and by means of him. Okay, those are words that they just added. And we're we're going to unpack it next week as well. So remember that chart I showed you last week. Or if you don't believe that uh, Jesus is God, you're basically an Arian, which is a heresy that was uh, <laughs> denounced uh, at the Council of Nicaea. So we also talked about St. Nicholas last time, as he's called. So he's not impressed with your Aaron Christology, Jehovah's Witnesses, all right? He's got his boxing gloves on. So St. Nick says, ho, ho, homoousios, which is Greek for uh, one same substance. So it's Jesus's one substance with the Father or one essence. That's the Trinity. Uh, so that's this, the theological term there. So like I said last time, there's a lot of memes out there for St. Nick, and they're all great. So... <clears throat> Do you have a question too? No, you good? So further, so and it's the sadly they don't stop here, right? With their uh, deconstruction of Jesus, right? So who is the image of the invisible God? We just read, but they completely destroy who he is, and it's tragic. So they also say that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. Okay, but they remember they make strong claims that they get their their information from the Bible. Um, so this is going to be really surprising to anybody who's read the Bible. Uh, but where they make the connections are from Jude verse 9, uh, where it says, But when Michael the archangel had a difference with the devil and was disputing about Moses' body, he did not dare to bring a judgment against him in abusive terms and said, May Jehovah rebuke you. So they're saying archangel, which is just Greek for chief of the angels. All right, so he's the, he's the greatest angel is what they're going to say. Uh, and I'm not agreeing with this. So. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, because the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a commanding call, with an archangel's voice, and with God's trumpet, and those who are dead in union with, with Christ will rise first. So they're saying he descends with a voice like an archangel, therefore he is an archangel. So that's, that's literally the basis. Uh, well, I guess there's one more. So Michael commands an angelic army, we see in Revelation 12, 7. But Jesus is in command of the angels in 1 Peter 3, 22. Therefore, they're the same person. Right? That's how they're going to make the connection. We're going to destroy that next week. Uh, and remember my George Washington analogy from last week, uh, where I said if someone tried to describe me as being six foot two with blue-green eyes, uh, who's a politician and a you know, statesman and military leader, but that doesn't describe me at all, uh, but they claim to know me, Right, because that's they're describing George Washington. It's the same thing. Like if you're talking with somebody and they're telling you that Jesus is he's, he's a created being, he's not God, he's an, actually just an angel. Uh, you're talking about a completely different person. So they're clearly not worshiping Jesus. It's a huge problem. Uh, further, 
uh, furthering their beliefs about Jesus and regarding salvation. Jesus did die and suffer, but it was on a torture stake, not a cross. The Greek word is staros. Basically, they, they make a really big deal about this, even though it doesn't really matter. So who cares whether the word means torture stick or cross? So did Jesus die like this, nailed to it, or did he die like this? All right, that's, that's what it matters, which has zero theological implication. Uh, historically, there is a massive body of evidence that Jesus did die on a cross. I went through it all. I'm not going to inflict it on you because uh, it's really boring. But if you really want to know, you can come talk to me afterwards. Uh, But Jesus did die on a cross, uh, but it's not worth arguing with them about, okay? So if you go to a Greek dictionary and look up what staros means, it's just an upright pole used for execution, right? So you think about it for, you know, more than a second, is a cross an upright pole used for execution? Yeah, I mean, that seems to fit the definition for me, Uh, but it's the reason why they make a big deal about it is the same thing with the name Jehovah. So it's so that they can say, did you know that your Bible says the word cross when it actually should be a torture stake? Okay, so here's the definition. Therefore, you should doubt your Bible and believe us because we restore the proper words and we have the right theology, right? Because if we have the right Bible and you guys don't, then we're also the ones who can interpret it correctly, right? Uh, But by the way, these same things are a means that the governing body use to control their members, to keep them in the group, because they teach them these same things so that they believe it, and therefore they don't want to leave the organization. So it try, it's, it's a way that the governing body tries to validate their authority over their members. So it's a, it's, it's a twofold reason. Uh, and I'm not saying that your Jehovah's Witness that you're talking to understands that. They're just repeating what they've been taught and what they believe. But that's from on high in their group. That's, that's really the reason why. Uh, they do believe that Jesus' death was sacrificial, a ransom for many, and necessary for salvation. And they pay lip service of salvation by grace alone. So they deny that they're working for the salvation. But then they turn around and say things like this. Like this is from Charles Russell himself. Uh, I went and looked it up, pulled it out. It says, the ransom for all given by the man Christ Jesus does not give a guarantee of everlasting life or blessing to any man. Right? The reason why uh, is because they say that uh, Jesus' death and believing in him was necessary for salvation, but he just paid, like, uh, like he paid for the sin of Adam off of you, like original sin. But therefore, it's up to you after that to do enough good works. Right, to make it into heaven or to make it into paradise earth, as we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, so it's, they, they're a little confused on that when you're talking with them. So they're going to say, hey, no, it's by grace alone, but then they're going to say, you need to do these things. So it's Jesus didn't pay your total. He didn't pay the whole way. He just gave you the ability to earn it yourself is really what it comes down to. So there are four things that they say are needed for salvation. You have to take in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Uh, Which sounds good, but that's not really what they don't mean what what they think it means for us, right? Uh, Sorry, trying to move fast, so. 
what they mean is that Jesus was a created being whose name was Michael. The body of Jesus was dissolved in the tomb, that God just took care of it, uh, and then he resurrected as a spirit creature. So there was no physical resurrection. So when they say you have to take in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, that's what they mean. You have to believe these things about him. Uh, you have to obey God's law. So they are laboring under the, uh, the law that you have to obey uh, these things. Question? No? All right. Just a lot of people scratching their noses, throwing me off. Uh, you have to belong to the, the Jehovah's Witness organization. In order to be saved, you have to be a member of them. And you have to be loyal to the JW organization as well. So that means you have to do at least one hour a month as a baptized publisher. So you have to go out door knocking one hour a month to maintain your loyalty to the organization. They want you to do more. They have tiers that, that, of how many hours that you can do. Uh, but that's, that's what it is. So one hour a month in order to maintain your salvation. Uh, you you have to go, you have to basically profess belief in Jesus and say, yes, I believe he's Michael. Yes, I uh, believe he died for my sins. Then you have to be baptized under that Jesus' name. You also have to say, I'm calling on the name of Jehovah to be saved. And then you have to walk it out afterwards by door knocking and attend their meetings. So they have two meetings a week. They meet on Thursdays and uh, Sundays. So you have to attend both of those. Every week, unless you just can't, if you work or something, they are kind of loose about it. But if you're available, you're supposed to be there. Good question. Uh, Jesus died a physical death, uh, but is but it was resurrected spiritually. So don't have time to read the scriptures. It's First Peter three eighteen, Second Corinthians five sixteen, where they they take that uh, those verses more literally than I think they're meant to be taken. They say that God disintegrated Jesus' body. They really don't have any scripture references for this at all. This is just something that they teach. Uh, and if you ask them how to justify it, they have nothing. Um, the closest I could find for anybody saying anything was Acts 2.31, which is just that God said Jesus' body wouldn't see corruption. And therefore, it just implies that God took care of it. Right? So... Uh, but, but it's essential to their understanding of Jesus because he had to have been raised spiritually because he was a spiritual being. He became a man through a miracle and then he died and then went back to being a spiritual being. All right? And they don't believe that he was God most high. They say, oh God, what they even really mean by that is just a, a very powerful spiritual being. So that's all it is. Uh, this is from... Charles Russell himself, in volume five of his books, The Man Jesus is Dead, Forever Dead. So they're just trying to emphasize that it was a physical death, and it's dead, and now he's back to being Michael. Right? So he goes by the name Michael and Jesus now as a spiritual being. Uh, Since Jesus' resurrection was spiritual, his return will be spiritual, which they say he returned visibly in October of 1914. So how did they get to that? So it's a really long daisy chain of scriptures that they go through. Um, so they calculated based on, so they start out with Luke 21, 24. It says, if they fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive, all the nation, uh, and led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled on the nations until the appointed time of the nations are fulfilled. So they basically just start out saying that there's going to be an end to the throne, uh, or the end to the temple, 
And then there's going to be a period of time where the Gentiles control everything. Uh, but then eventually Jesus is going to return at the end of that. Daniel, they go to Daniel 4, which is Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the tree. So that's where he, it's chopped down uh, and they, for seven years before the tree is then restored by God. So they take an initial fulfillment view of it, which it applies to Nebuchadnezzar, which is very clear in the scriptures that it applies to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, so he was the king of Babylon. He dishonored God, basically committed blasphemy. God made him eat grass for seven years like, as a beast. And then after seven years, he glorified God again and was restored to his kingship. Uh, but they, they want to take it a step further and say that this, this is actually an analog or a prophecy about Jesus returning. All right. Uh, so after the Davidic kingly line was dethroned, so they're going to say that when the, when the line of David was destroyed which was when the Babylonians took over the, the, the city in 607 BC. That was the cutting down of the tree. And then they want to say, uh, it says, let seven times pass over in Daniel 4. Revelation 12, 6 says that three and a half times equals 1,260 days. Double that, because it's three and a half, you get 2,520 days. And then you have to look at Numbers 14, 34, where it says for a day... Uh, it's a uh, where God's meeting out punishment for one day. Everything that this happened, I'm going to punish you for one year. Uh, same thing with Ezekiel, like it's a day for a year principle. So they're going to make that a rule that when God says something's going to happen in days, it's going to actually be years. So 2,520 days is actually years. And if you go by from when Jerusalem fell, 2,000 whatever days, you get 1914 in October. Okay, so... Like, I didn't make this up, right? This is from their website right here. You can see it. Um, this is a zoomed up view of the last chunk. So Jerusalem's trampled on by the nations. 2,500 years. 1914, that's when Jesus had to have returned. And this is actually why they even changed their belief that Jesus would return invisibly. Uh, this is how they knew that it failed each time because they were expecting a physical return of Jesus. That's what Russell was expecting Obviously, it wasn't happening, and then he decided his problem wasn't that he was getting it wrong. The problem was uh, that, or that he was getting the wrong date. The problem was that he was uh, expecting a physical return when it was really a spiritual one. And this was, this was set in stone by Rutherford later. Uh, so what does it even mean that he returned in 1914? That's just, like, what impact did that have on the world? Uh, well, he's ruling from heaven, of course, right, right now over the earth. Uh, so they're saying that World War I was caused because Satan was cast down to the earth. Right? You see that in Revelation where Satan was cast down. Uh, and therefore, that's why you had World War I. That's why you had World War II. That's why you had COVID-19. So if you go to their website right now, COVID-19, what does the Bible say? They're going to go right to this and say, we're, gonna, we're expecting everything to keep getting worse and worse and worse until... Uh, until Armageddon happens, all right? So when is Armageddon going to happen? It's going to happen when 144,000 people make it into heaven. So they have a two-tier class system for heaven. Basically, eternity is there are 100, and they've, this view has changed over the years as well. 
So 144,000 people who lived especially good lives, they are going to get to go to heaven to be with Jesus and rule, but they never get their bodies back. They're just spirit beings in heaven with Jesus, and they help him to rule the earth from heaven. Everybody else goes into sleep. They just sleep in their graves until Armageddon, in which they are resurrected into bodies, uh, and they are allowed to live on paradise earth. So only 144,000 people make it into heaven, and everyone else lives on paradise earth. The governing body is the only one who has the authority to lead them during that time, because they're the only ones who can speak for God. I'm trying to think what else to say about it. Yeah. So Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that they will all survive the tribulation, and they will get to live as Jehovah's Witnesses uh, on paradise earth for a thousand years with Christ ruling from heaven. Uh, Basically, everybody who's died up until Armageddon is resurrected, and if... If you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're just automatically admitted into Paradise Earth. Everybody else is resurrected and given an opportunity to worship Jehovah. If they reject it, they're annihilated. So you don't go to hell, you just don't exist anymore. Uh, and that's it. So, uh, But if you die during Armageddon, then you go, then you're just automatically annihilated. There's no, there's no opportunity for you to be resurrected if you die during Armageddon. Uh, And so hell's not a real place. Uh, And by the way, everybody who lives on Paradise Earth, including the Jehovah's Witnesses, they're not assured of making it all the way through. So if you're there for a thousand years and you sin, you get annihilated. You're done. Okay? So that's it. You have a thousand years where you have to live a good life with Christ willing from heaven. And then Jesus steps down from the throne. Jehovah then rules from heaven. And then you're good. And you've made it. Okay, you get to live on Paradise Earth forever. So, well, they're going to say you have a you have a chance if you die before Armageddon. So they're going to pressure you because you they because you'll they'll you they'll take that challenge of well if I'm going to get a chance then it doesn't matter. But they're going to say well, but if but that's only if you die before Armageddon. So you want to join our organization because what if Armageddon starts tomorrow? Then you're going to be annihilated. So, yeah. So that's that's going to be their pressure point on you. Uh, the governing body. So let's talk about them. Uh, they can. It consists of eight men who live in New York City. That is where the organization has existed ever since Russell. He's the one who founded it there. In fact, they only just moved to a new building like six years ago. But they're still in New York, so they were in that same building for a long time. They formulate doctrine. They oversee the publishing of their magazines. So they have two magazines, Awake and The Watchtower. Uh, so they, and they, Jehovah's Witnesses read those. They're, they're the ones that if you see them standing out in the corner handing things out, like that's the magazine that they're handing out to you. <clears throat> uh, when, judge, when judgment comes, Armageddon, uh, when Jesus is judging the nations, your survival... Because remember, all Jehovah's Witnesses will survive, is what they teach, the tribulation. So your survival will depend 100% on how well you will follow instructions from the governing body. It's because the governing body is the only one who has the authority of God on the earth. So they call themselves the faithful slave. Uh, That's just another term for the governing body. So they say it's the channel through which Jesus is feeding his true followers. That's from their magazine in 2013. 
And this has also changed over time, by the way. The faithful slave used to be everybody, and just Rutherford changed it. So that just kind of slowly got condensed, these amen, so that they have now control over the organization. The faithful and discreet slave was appointed over Jesus' domestics in 1919. This is a quote uh, from, uh, where is it from? I didn't put it on there. Oh, it's from an annual report. So this was posted on their website in 2012. So this is like their annual meeting report that they're just giving out to everybody. Like this is just recapping the last year. So this is just something that they had as part of their recap to let everybody know. Uh, so this is a faithful and discreet slave was appointed over Jesus' domestics in 1919. The slave is the small composite group of anointed brothers serving at world headquarters during Christ's presence. That's now. Uh, who are directly involved in preparing and dispensing spiritual food. When this group work together as a governing body, they, uh, they are the faithful and discreet slave. Okay, this group is the one who translated their own version of the Bible called the New World Translation. Uh, and they, they did it anonymously. So they do not let you know who it was that translated it and put all these new words in. Uh, it's just... They, they claim it's anonymous, but it was them, really. Although they probably commissioned somebody to do it. Uh, just a few, two more slides here. Uh, the New World Translation, comments about them. They are, this was the first ever translation of an entire Bible with the express intention of making the text fit uh, their group's theology. All right, so this is actually, uh, so they were, they were groundbreaking in this. Other groups had changed like one book of the Bible, a few words here and there. They're the first ones to ever just say, we're just redoing the whole thing because <laughs> right? we got to make it fit. And by the way, they didn't do a good job. There are plenty of verses in their translation that show that Jesus is God, uh, which I've already showed you some today. We'll talk about more tomorrow, uh, next week. <clears throat> Bethel Church is doing the same thing right now. They're taking a leaf out of the Jehovah's Witness uh, book here. They have this, something called the Passion Translation. is being done by a man named Brian Simmons who says he's, being received, he's getting visions from God how to translate it, uh, and, but he's just embedding his hyper-charismatic theology into the scripture, that was all he's doing, so he's changing it. Uh, this is also different from Mormonism, which they don't, they just use the exact same Bible. They'll just use any translation that you give them, they don't care. Uh, they just have a second book called the Book of Mormon, which just supersedes the Bible, right? So that's the classic way that a cult does it. They just say, we have a new book that supersedes the Bible or it contradicts, uh, but so Mormon, or the Jehovah's Witnesses were groundbreaking breaking in that regard. It's actually not that bad of a translation when translation is occurring. It's actually on par with the NIV, I would say, most of the time while you're reading it. It's just that when it comes to Christological things and a few other, like the, uh, just a few other things that they changed intentionally, uh, that makes it bad to read, right? Which we already talked about, like John uh, chapter 1 and the Colossians chapter 1 as well. A few more to talk about next week. Uh, they also erroneously inserted the name Jehovah into the New Testament over 200 times. There are zero Greek manuscripts that have the name Jehovah in them, in the Greek. None at all, anywhere. So they just inserted it all over the place and saying that it's there when it's not. All right, but they will say that they believe God's the Bible is God's inspired message to humans. They use the same 60 books, 66 books that we use from the Old and New Testament. 
uh, but they just mistakenly believe that they get their interpretations without predetermining its meanings, uh, which is kind of true. Uh, they just changed the Bible. <laughs> so uh, they embedded it, the theology into the translation, unfortunately. So they just, uh, they did the predetermining on like the back ends, or at least maybe or they front loaded it rather than doing it later. That's all. So when you go to a meeting, it's basically going to be a Bible study when you go. It's like an hour and a half of literally just going through the Bible. Uh, it's just that it's done kind of shallowly. It's like a seeker-friendly level church, and it's all done from the perspective of the governing body. So the governing body lays out what you're going to teach that week. They send it out to every kingdom hall, and that's how they teach it as a Bible study aid. All right, so you get your book. Here, you go to the week it is, so... Usually they have the date in it, but, uh, and you just go to that week and that's what it is. It's a topical study of the Bible one whatever they want to talk about that week. So it's just, it's only done from their perspective. So that's why you want to get them to question the governing body as a the primary way. So any questions? I know I went through really fast on that. That was a lot of material to go through. Go ahead. Correct. They appoint their own vacancies. Uh, they select from people all over the world to fill it. So, yep. So, and they just, eight men, they stick with, stick with eight and just keep refilling it as people pass away or resign. Or... Uh, it's a good question. I actually don't, I don't know. I didn't look that up. So, sorry. <clears throat> Any other questions? What they believe about them? So right now, if you died right now, like tonight or tomorrow, you go to sleep, basically, and you, you're not conscious of what's going on. It's like you're sleeping. And then when Armageddon happens, you're resurrected, uh, and you're given the opportunity, do you want to come live on the earth and worship Jehovah? And if you say yes, you're allowed in. If you say no, you're just annihilated. So you're given that opportunity. That's what they believe. So they call it soul sleep, uh, not, they don't believe in eternal torment or punishment. There's no hell. It's annihilation is what they teach. Good question. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray. And if you want to look at any of these resources, go ahead. Uh, Father God, we, we do thank you for who you are again. And we love that uh, you have chosen us to know the truth and that you have given us your word to study and know. We pray you would illuminate it to us uh, even next week as well, that uh, the teaching would be good and accurate and helpful to us that you would encourage us in our faith and help us to step out and reach out to Jehovah's Witnesses as we encounter them, because they, they do generally come right to our, our doorstep. So uh, we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I did. I had him over on Monday. He's coming over again on Tuesday night. So... Uh, I mean, fine. So it's, 
one of the things that's, that's tricky is he's actually relatively new. So um, he's kind of getting his feet wet with me. <laughs> uh, and so when I ask questions, like we talked about uh, the, whether the church was corrupted or not. And he just had two verses, and that was all he knew, because that's all he'd been taught yet. So, you know, spending that time, it's, so it's, their, their Bible study time, it's like, it's shallow. Like, they're only going to have, like, two verses. So, but, I mean, he was willing to come back again for another week. So, uh, and by the, by the way, you don't need to be straight up front with them. So, like, I mean, we'll get, we'll get into it more next week, but. You can be coy. Like, you don't need to come right out of the bat and say, I'm, I'm bringing you into my house to witness to you. I'm going to reveal you to reveal the true Christ to you. Then they probably won't come back. Okay? So, like, Jesus, like, was it Luke uh, 16 or 18 with the, the parable of the wise steward who, like, was, like, he made all these deals with people so that they'd be happy with him when, G when Jesus fired him. So he's saying that uh, you need to be, like, I'm butchering this, <laughs> but uh, basically, be the people of the world are more shrewd than the people of the like of the church. So, like, like he's encouraging to be more shrewd. So don't just come right out of the gate. Just say, "Hey, I'm willing to do a Bible study with you." That's all you got to say, and that's that's honest and truthful, uh, and it doesn't scare him away. You know, so that helps. I don't know. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. Yeah, did you get it last time? I got time? it last week. Okay, good. All right. And I'll make a copy for her, but two people want it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and if anybody want, wants my notes, I'll, I'll email them to you. So just give me your address and I'll, uh, I'll send them over to you. So. Which one? So this is He's got a whole series. So he's got Muslims, he's got uh, Witness, Catholics, Mormons. Uh, yeah, he's got a, a long series. It's good. That's great. So I'm using these for how encountering. So yeah. So I, I highly recommend them. So all of them. Thank you very much. Of course. So. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, do you want? You can take a picture of it, or yeah. Okay. So, good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me turn this audio off.